0: Uh, this topic uh, was it, came to us through a question that someone asked. And so the way I want to frame the response to this question is talking about craving and indulgence, um, suppression, and renunciation. So the question is, is really about craving and um you know, hearing about how we shouldn't suppress things, wondering if that's something that comes from the Buddha or comes from our more Western applications. Uh, And then, you know, I'm adding the part about renunciation because um, just stopping something is not the same Uh, Cracking down on something is not the same as renunciation. So I think the first thing to look at is craving and what do you crave? Uh, Where does craving arise? And how um, desire is not always craving and uh, that we have to have desire If we want to get anything done like the the pali word tanha is usually used for craving and the pali word chanda can be um, about sensual desire desires for something that's unhelpful or unwholesome but chanda can also be used for wholesome desire and the buddha said that we need to have wholesome desire um, without desire, you don't show up for Dhamma talks. If Without desire, you don't make progress in meditation. Um, so the first question to ask when we are wanting something is whether we're wanting something wholesome or not. So the question uh, actually asked about food. And it's like, well, when we want food that's wholesome for the body, we might not even know why we're wanting it, but the body knows. So um, I know it's true for me and it's true for some other people, like uh, we're vegetarian and a lot of people um, who come here are vegetarian and people will talk about how sometimes the body needs some kind of um, animal protein. And there's a craving, you might say a craving for eggs, or there's a craving for fish, or there's a craving, um, sometimes people, a craving for liver, which the person doesn't even like. Uh, I've had a, a, an experience when, you know, I like have never really liked spinach, but someone years ago brought over a box of Spinach, a Costco-sized box of spinach, and I was living by myself, so of course you try to make use of whatever offerings are made. And I'm eating this baby spinach, and my body was like, "Oh, more of that, more of that." I could call it a craving, you know. It was really into it and wanted spinach, and I could feel that it was something the body needed. And so the first thing to do is inquire. know what is it that I'm craving is it really is it a wholesome thing or not and craving in the in the canon means an unwholesome thing it's when you're caught up in wanting something that's um, you know you're really stuck with it on it you know and it it's not about freedom and peace and tranquility uh, it's quite the other direction. But when we are wanting something wholesome, there's a certain level of suffering. Um, I had an incredibly strong desire to ordain. And the Buddha talks about the practitioner who has this strong desire to realize truth. And when they're not there yet, there's, there's suffering involved. So you can't even always uh, decide, oh, this is wholesome or this is unwholesome based on, on suffering. Because sometimes there's suffering even when you're wishing and, and striving and wanting something that's actually appropriate and leads to happiness in the future. So the Buddha talked about you know, the, the painful activity that um, leads to happiness in the future. There's the pleasant activity that leads to ha- more ple- pleasure in the future. But there's also pleasant. what's pleasant now that leads to pain in the future and what's painful now that leads to even more pain in the future. And that's where we have to make our distinction. Is this thing that I'm wanting going to lead to pain or is it going to lead to real happiness? So that's the first part, to really examine what we're we're craving. And then what is it like when we indulge in something? Um, indulgence really implies it's unwholesome, implies that this is not really good for me or good for others, and then noticing how it feels. And probably one of the the main points about this reflection is to look at depression and renunciation. So it's true that we don't want to suppress feelings. So when we feel pain, when we feel discontent, basically when we're feeling dukkha, dissatisfaction, we don't want to suppress it. We want to apply the first three noble truths. We want to turn towards it. If we suppress it, if it goes underground, it's going to come out later in, some kind of funny way. Most of the time we lash out at other people if we suppress our own suffering. So we want to turn towards it. Turn towards it and understand it. So first noble truth, understand the suffering. Understand the dukkha. Suffering's not the not enough of an indication of the whole range of dukkha. So we want to look at, you know, what is this Um, what is this dukkha about, and what is behind it? So when there's craving for something unwholesome, there's dukkha. If we indulge in that unwholesome craving, there's more dukkha. And it takes different forms. So if that's what we're experiencing, then we want to really be present with that feeling. We want to recognize the root and abandon the root. So, how do we find it? If it's a craving for food, how do we find what the root is of that craving? We can look at what it is we're craving and how is, and and what, when we crave it, who's around when we crave it, what time of day, what time of, what, you know, all kinds of conditions around this craving. When does this come up? What really might be lying behind it? Is there a way of satisfying this desire that doesn't have to do with food? That can give us a better indication of what is there. Is this a a craving for human contact? Is this a a craving for some other kind of pleasure? You know, it's just to understand what the dukkha is, um, we can really investigate. And there might be a craving for something else, really, that's not the food. Um, Or if there is craving for something like praise or honor or acknowledgement or, um, you know, to really try to understand it and have a lot of compassion for ourselves. I feel like applying those first two noble truths, if we can do it in a context of kindness and compassion we we get so much farther with it just as you know try to treat yourself the way you would treat another like innocent being a child or an animal or you know some some innocent being that's suffering and just tr- you try to listen to that and be present with it and then when we come to see the root, we really make an effort to abandon that and so Depending on the circumstances, we can do that in different ways. A lot of times, just seeing where things are rooted is enough, seeing the real danger in it is really helpful. So, of course, the third noble truth is that we experience or realize that the cessation has happened, um, that we're released from the suffering and then, so, so this is the way of, it works with feelings, but there are other things that come up in our experience that it's reasonable or advisable to suppress, you might say, or I might use a different word, but usually with, with thought, the Buddha was like, just abandon, don't tolerate thoughts of cruelty thoughts of sensual desire, thoughts of ill will. It's like you cut them off. So you might call that suppression, but it's like, this is where you train the mind. So sometimes when we read the sutta about removal of distracting thoughts, and it goes through these four methods, and then it gets to the fifth one and it's crush the mind with mind. And then people feel like, well, that's pretty violent. the Buddha wouldn't say that would he, (laughs) but he did. It's like, this is training the mind. Sometimes we have to be very firm with the mind um, because those were firm with the thoughts that lead to suffering that lead to, um, you know, influencing ourselves to do wrong things or, you know, somehow moving the mind in a, in a bad direction. Like when we fuel anger or when we, um, you know, pay attention to the things coming through media or through the world that are developing, causing us to increase our, our hatred, our disgust, our aversion, or increase our lust and our um, desire. Um, you know, and these are the things that we want to cut off, and we can be quite strong about it they're just thoughts. It's not like, um, you know, something. So, so like, let's say we've experienced trauma. I think about just about every one of us can probably um, call up experiences of trauma. And the trauma, um, you know, as you know, I'm sure already, has a representation in the body. So the body remembers. And when that, when something arises from that, that's when we want to apply the noble truth and we want to really look at the nature of that. That's different from thought. That's different from the kind of like cut the thought off. Uh, We can have patterns of thinking that we can alter without any harm to ourselves, without anything being driven underground. And then I wanna talk about renunciation because it's so different from suppression. So renunciation has a formula around it. Uh, when I, when you renounce something, and uh, the forest tradition has a lot of experience with this. We're encouraged to renounce uh, things uh, all along the way through the holy life. Uh, for example, um, and various practitioners have stories of things they've renounced uh, for maybe the term of the, the three month wins period which is what we're in now and you might make a determination that you that you there's something you're not gonna do or something you are gonna do every day or something like that. There's a renunciation. Well renunciation is that, you know, you you choose something and you consciously You know this is something that is useful. Um, Like maybe, I mean, we have some friends who take the five precepts, but they really have struggle with that fifth one of not drinking alcohol. So they might decide they're going to renounce alcohol for, you know, like some period of time. They'll take the precepts for two weeks or a month or whatever, but they have a period of time in mind. And then they do it. they they renounce for that period of time. And then what that allows is an opportunity to really see how this affects your life. So what is the experience of having the desire for something arise and then saying no to it? And staying present with that energy, that craving energy and being aware of it and mindful and present with it. You can see how different this is from suppression. Because when you suppress, we don't want to feel it. We want to shove it out of the window, out of the, you know, out of the experience. But with renunciation, it's the opposite. You turn towards what you're feeling. And so you feel this desire for whatever it is that you've decided you're not going to do. And sometimes it can get extremely intense. And this is why when you pick up monastic life we you stay in a monastery or even at home, you decide to keep eight precepts and you're not going to eat uh, after midday except for me- medicine, food, uh, and you're not going to indulge in sleep and you're not going to have sex and you're not going to um, engage in entertainment. So there's, there's so many um, avenues of escape from what we feel that you're cutting off. And so this could be, this is also something that people do as renunciation. Like they'll keep the eight precepts for a day. They'll keep the eight precepts for one day a week or whatever it is they choose. But then you have to be present and aware of whatever the dukkha is that's arising. And so when you're staying present with it and it becomes really strong then and, and, and you, you're able to stay present with it without caving, without Folding without giving in, and remember that what you're renouncing is something that's not healthy. It's not something that's actually good for your body or mind. It's something that's actually unnecessary. It's actually unhelpful. So you stick with that feeling, and you watch it go through. It's just like a wave. It it goes. Sometimes it just goes stronger, 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 and then it starts to fade. If you can ride it all the way through to the end, you know that you've accomplished something. You know that you can live without taking that drink. You know that you can live without having that, whatever it was um, that you've decided to renounce. And then, you know, it's um, one of the renunciation stories that I've heard Ajahn Tuchito talk about was uh, the first winter in England after having been in Thailand with, now he's living uh, with uh, Ajahn Sumedho and the other monks in England. And um, he didn't have any proper boots um, for the winter time, I think probably just sandals. And someone, and the times were poor. I mean, people didn't really know what a monastery or what monks were so much, so they weren't exactly um, calling up and asking what they needed. But someone offered the Sangha some boots, but he didn't get any. Um, they were given to other monks, but he didn't get any. And he made the decision that he wasn't going to ask. He wasn't going to do anything to try to get boots. If he didn't have it, he didn't need it. So he's it very like, you know. <laughs> and so he, he goes through the, the experience of doing without something and it makes you stronger it's like he know he he learned he knew that he could do without it whatever it is if it's not there I don't need it that was his attitude and so this is like you know sort of you might say that's kind of hardcore but the more hardcore we get with things that aren't it's not really hurting you I mean England England doesn't have, it's not the Arctic, um, it's cold, but it's probably not going to result in long-term damage to not have boots, so it's like, you know, it's, it's like really understanding what's appropriate to renounce, and then sticking with it, and it really helps to in the mind. The mind gets to the point where it's like, yeah, I don't need um, this kind of sensual pleasure and that kind of sensual pleasure. I don't need to come back for, um, you know, s'mores and uh, beautiful flowers and whatever else it is, <laughs> um, beautiful music or, you know, it's like you, you're happy inside without this um, getting what you want so pretty soon more and more you don't want and you don't want to get rid of and this is where we start to recognize that true happiness is from inside and it's accessible thank you for listening